Gentlemen, start your engines. This is going to be a mighty emotional occasion for a lot of people, not the least of whom is myself. In a race to remember. But this is absolutely gobsmacking. He hasn't even hit the brake yet. It's gone crazy at the top of the hill. What an off-the-scale car race. G'day, I'm Dan Hollihan. Welcome to my motorsports podcast, On the Couch with Hawley. Brought to you by Sweet Black, creating success with people. On today's episode, we chat to rugby league legend Jack Ellsgood. Jack has played for the Manly Seagulls, the Sydney Roosters, and even for the legendary Australian Kangaroo squad who toured Great Britain back in 1994. After Jack retired from football, he hunted down a V8 supercars career after winning the V8 Ute Championship back in 2009. These days, he's a successful real estate agent and is the current co-owner and founder of Delmar's Residential. That's a little bit about Jack, so how about we hear it from the man himself, Jack Ellsgood. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Jack Ellsgood. Jack, how you been, dude? Yeah, not bad. Uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit of an effort to get here, but I'm here. So we were trying to talk ages and trying to figure out how to do this whole podcast. And you were actually in Queensland like the other week. What was what was going up in Queensland? Oh, look, I needed a break, obviously, last since... COVID, hadn't been able to get away. There was a little bit of a break with work and uh, plus the fact that my, my nephew was getting married up, sorry, nephew cousin was getting married in Noosa and I just thought I'd extend it. So he got a couple of weeks away. Yeah. Well overdue. Yep. Had a good time. <laughs> now, before we get into this full podcast, we actually have a close mate in common, big Jimmy, James Golfin. How did you two actually become mates? My big Jimmy, yes, he's one of the best yeah. and uh, one of my best mates, definitely. I was privileged to be his best man at his wedding. Yep. And uh, I just got to know him through, um, actually, Ian Rubin, who used to play for the Roosters. Yep. And South. So he was friends with his brother. I got an introduction through his brother and, um, mate, as soon as I met him, we just, uh, yeah, hit it off. He's a mad barbecue man and <laughs> mate, I love eating barbecue. So <laughs> that's where it started and, you know, yeah. 20 years later. Yeah, best of mates. Yeah, right. How'd the whole barbecue thing come on? That's a kind of a bit of a side thing away from like what we're going to talk about later in the podcast. So where did like the fascination with barbecue and cooking meat come from? Look, my father was a butcher, obviously grew up eating meat, but when you give a piece of meat to Big Jimmy and you get him to put it on the barbecue with all these, you know, yeah. special herbs and spices and all that sort of <laughs> stuff, it really is something that you got to experience. It's... um. It's, yeah, it's just, I've, I've asked him and told him so many times, get out of tennis coaching, go open up a cafe, call it Big Jimmy's, and I'll tell you <laughs> what, he would make an absolute packet. <laughs> he is the best. Did you actually ever go to his, because um, I was one of his promoters for Marquee Nightclub, did you actually go to that nightclub thing or did you just stay away from that? I went to it a couple of times. I think, you know, my, you know, back in the day playing football and, you know, you used to go out after, you know, nightclubs all the time. And I think it was sometime in, I don't know, would have been, Mid to late nineties, I think I just yeah. said to myself, "Right, oh, no, clubs just pull up because <laughs> going to clubs, you know, had its advantages. People knew you, and it was always mm-hmm. seemed to be a pretty good place for a social, you know, meet girls. And I was most of the time I was single, so that was yeah. all great. But um, it was also a place where plenty of drunk <laughs> blokes want to have a go at you, and you know, yeah. at the time, the hair was blonde and the eyes were blue, and plenty of people wanted to try and take you out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, before you got into your whole racing cuckery, which is what the podcast is about, which is what I told you off air, obviously why I'm excited on this podcast is you're an actually an ex-rugby league player. Um, how did you get 
involved in rugby league? Because you were clearly involved, like you love your bikes and your cars, but back then, did you just not, weren't you able not to afford that type of stuff or how did it all happen between the two sports going two different ways? Well, growing up, my father was from Victoria. Mm. Um, he was an AFL fan, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but on my mother's side, um, her, her father was a famous Bumper Farrell. He was just a legend in, played football for Newtown, New South Wales, played for Australia. And growing up at Narrabeen, Narrabeen Sharks, it was just one of those areas if you lived there, you played football. And yeah. I was like every other kid, I thought um, you know, playing football was the best thing on the, you know, in the world. Yeah. And that's what I did from probably four years of age. Um, but then during, you know, obviously growing up playing football, you mm. watch a bit of racing here and there. Every kid's got a matchbox car and, you know, it didn't matter, you know, if you're on a push bike, a skateboard or a scooter, you know, going fast was always, it was just great fun. And every, mm. and every time you went outside your front door, there was a race somewhere. So yeah. um, for me, when I finished football, I always had it in mind that I wanted to go race and, um, and that's what I did. Yeah, right. So for you, when you're watching like TV as a kid, did you watch Bathurst and did you idolise Brocky or someone like that on TV? Did you idolise any race car drivers? Or more footballers? Oh, look, I idolised a lot more footballers than racing car drivers. I probably didn't, whilst I liked watching the racing, I didn't particularly have, like, you know, favourite drivers. Mm. Although Peter Brock mm. was someone that everyone loved and I was no different, but I wouldn't say that I followed him like, you know, rugby league. There were people that I didn't like and that was obviously, I just, I didn't like Ford, so I didn't like Dick Johnson, I didn't like Moffat. Um, yeah. But, you know, it came to racing, I like Larry Perkins and I like Peter Brock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with you, with you, I want to know about your your football career now. You you did play for the Australian Schoolboys, and you were obviously born in the Northern Beaches. How did, how was it like going from high school and then playing for like the the Schoolboys and playing with like legends now who are still involved in football while you've gone a whole different direction? Uh, yeah, well, I suppose the transition from school to playing first grade was pretty quick for me. Mm. The Australian schoolboys thing, I left school in, uh, well, I more or less got asked to leave school uh, mm. halfway through year 11. And um, so I left and then had the rest of the year off, did some work. And then the following year, there was a schoolboy tour to the UK if you made the Australian schoolboy, made the, made the side. So mm. I actually went back to school just to try and make this team. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I went back, went to Pitwater High for that year, made the Australian schoolboy side. And then thereafter, you know, more or less I was you know, under a contract with Manly and then... Yeah, you know, 19, I was playing first grade, which you now looking back on that now, that transition from being such a young person mm. then because I was playing with men. Mm. You know, there wasn't a lot of young kids back then playing yeah. football in first grade. There was a lot of older people. So <clears throat> that was a little bit of a strange one because um, I never even drank beer really back then. And, you know, you'd be going out with, you know, like for Cliff, you go back for the club for a beer and, yeah. you know, Cliffy Lyons would be having a cigarette even at half time and having a beer and having a punt. You yeah, know, playing the pokies and a lot of that sort of stuff was a little bit – that was all foreign to me. So I kind of like stuck with my – people my own age. Yeah. But still had great fun. They had a great bunch of blokes, but it was uh, – that was a little unusual. Yeah. Did, did you, so did you remember playing – was it was Cliff Lyons and that in the schoolboys or were they more above you? Oh, no, no. They, they weren't in the schoolboys. They were okay. like they're way above, <laughs> older than me. The schoolboys so obviously were all my – Yeah. Who was who was in the Australian schoolboys squad when you defeated England? Um, so Josh Stewart, my, one of my good mates. Yeah. Um, uh, we we played football with Narrabeen Sharks together from when we were four years of age. Yep. Kenny Nagus. Yep. Kenny Nagus yep, yep. was in there. Danny Williams. Yeah, okay. Um, who else was Michael Butner? You know, there was a few. Uh, who, what That's actually how I became a Bears fan, Michael Butner. Really? Yeah. yeah so right my on. my dad was um, working at Pack and Sandy down. He owned his private little small business. Right. And then over here he was in Crow's Nest, and that's where I live. 
And anyway, his mate, like kind of like you, you know, people through people, ended up knowing Michael Butner and dad was like, oh, you know, I've got a football player coming over to see you for your birthday and it was Michael Butner. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how I became a Bears fan. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. Well, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so there was a few there that you'd that you'd remember that went on to first grade. So yeah. um yeah, it was a good time going overseas. It was a thrill representing Australia. Yeah, good times. What was what was it like being coached by Bobby Fulton in Manly? Bob Fulton, oh, exceptional. I was blessed to have great coaches, Phil mm. Gould and Bob Fulton. Yeah, Bob was a very, very like most powerful personality probably that I've ever come across. As a football coach, just he knew his stuff. <clears throat> he knew it. He um he demanded you know, a huge amount of respect. But I think as a coach, he had the right combination of fear and respect that you've got to have for a coach. Yeah. You know, you'll want to pay, play for your coach and you've got to want to do everything that he says, you know. Mm. You can see mutiny at clubs where there's no respect for the coach and the coach yeah. gets put out, but never the case with Bob because <clears throat> he was always right. Yeah. He was just always right and fearless and just an ultimate competitor. Do you reckon Ivan Cleary reminds you of like an old school kind of coach these days because of his like culture that he's created around Penrith or do you reckon that's like a whole different dynamic because of the modern day? Completely different type personalities. Ivan's quite an articulate fella Mm -hmm. and um, I mean, you know, Bob could hit an orange and smash it that hard (laughs) and somehow gather every piece of juice whereas, you know, Ivan Cleary's the type of bloke that would grab that orange in a certain kind of way and squeeze it the right kind of way and still end up with the same sort of result. Two completely different people, but obviously, yeah, both very, very successful. When you were playing for Manly, didn't you win in your rookie season the Daily M Award? Was that, did that come out of surprise that year or did you just feel like you were in the hunt for the Daily M? God, mate, too, too long ago. I had too many concussions since, <laughs> since then and now. Look, you know, I, I had a great year. It mm. was, you know, we were in a great side. You know, Cliffy was just throwing the ball left, right, and centre. I was yeah. scoring plenty of tries. I got the prize, which was great, and picked up a few, a couple of others, which were equally as good. The Norwich Rising Star, and the other one was um, yeah. Discovery of the Year. Yeah, and um, so yeah, look, it was a great time, and I was it was great to win those awards. Yeah, uh, and you know, looking back, it was a great did year it, for me. You did all right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, were were you back then? Because I was, as you know, I'm a huge league fan, and you sent my shirt and stuff like that. Around the Winfield Cup days, were you? Did you actually get to meet Tina Turner, or were you around that whole like advertising spree? Like the marketing back then for rugby league was just insane. It was, you know, and uh, you know, God, <laughs> as soon as I took away cigarettes on sponsorship, you know, yeah, it was a. I think things changed. I don't yeah. think it's ever been the same since. Uh, yeah. But I missed Tina Turner, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So when you when you're playing for Manly, the first two years you're quite a dominant team. I think just the year after you missed out before you went to the Chalks. I think you're both minor premiers in '95 and '96. Mm-hmm. Was both the years for you? Was any of them any different from one to the other, or not really? Uh, look, '96 was different in as much as I still played a lot of the games those years. But '96 was when they had the NRL or ARL Super League split. Yeah, and. Um, I suppose my focus at that point in time, I signed with ARL and then I got an offer mm. to go to another club, which was yeah. uh, Super League. And then what was, was the club in Super League? Now well, it's how it turned out was was Bulldogs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah right. So basically yeah, okay. how that came about was the Super League, News Limited, want to contest the validity of the contract, mm. the ARL contract in the Industrial Relations Court. So yeah, so come over. Sign a contract with us. Yes, you got a contract there. We'll contest it on your, on your behalf, you know. Mm. Um, and it worked out good because they said, look, you know, you can then 
because I got paid from ARL and got paid from mm. um, Super League and if you lose, well, you, you know, so be it. Yeah. Still pay your money. So I ended up going to Canterbury, played two trial matches and then went before the court. We got beat. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it stuck, the, the validity. Mm. And then it was out of either going to St. George or the Roosters mm. and um, went to the Roosters. Yeah. And that's how, I suppose, and then got you, there. So. And then you played for the Roosters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So, best move I made. And you you were obviously in a movie featuring the Newtown Jets that you, were you playing as your great-grandfather in that? In no. We were talking about that off air. No, there was another, there was a, uh, there was a movie done in the final winter, but that was well after yeah, okay. my retirement. But yeah. um, oh, I'm going way forward here because I'm trying to relate to the football yeah. content before we get a car yeah, racing yeah, content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. I just, uh, I just threw a few dollars at it. Yeah, trying to get it going and look, yeah, was, right. You know, it made it, but I think the timing of it was, you know, like life timing's everything. And um, we brought it out the week of the semis, mm. and uh, thinking that that's when everyone would have been, yeah. you know, pumped up to go and watch it. Yeah, but little did we realise that. You know, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, people are watching rugby league, not going to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't it didn't sell that well. But you know, it was a great experience, and it was good to see you know another movie about NRL and. Newtown in particular. Yeah, cool. How'd you meet your, your wife? Like, how did that all come about? Because now you've got a family and stuff like that. Which yeah. wife? No. Oh, oh <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> no, no, I don't have a wife and don't I don't have, have a kids. Wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're just, you're a single man. You don't have a, don't have a That's it. Yeah. yeah so right. of, um, yeah, no, I've had a few opportunities, but I failed on all of them, unfortunately. So <laughs> here I am. Yeah. 48 and single. No kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, you were, you were a, on the footy show, which I was telling you off air, you 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 were world's oh, not world's rugby league sexiest man. Like, didn't you get voted for that? Did you oh, win look, that competition you know, or not? I don't, I don't think I won it, but um, oh, yeah, you, you, obviously it's all all those things are you know cross promotions for the game, and yeah, you go along and you do it. You get a few bucks here and there for doing it, but um, I don't think anyone in football ever took it seriously. So yeah, but you know, yeah. a lighthearted fun, which. <laughs> Did, how many times did you go on that show, the, the footy show? Did you go on it many times at all? Or yeah, heaps of times because yeah. um, I also did the um, Fashions in the Field with Terry Hill. Yeah, okay. With Gonads, the Greyhound. Yeah. So I did a fair few episodes on that and then they had like, you know, the you know sexiest man and then they had like a perfect match, match segment and then they had, you know, there was a few other little things where you'd go and sit on the panel and yeah. whatever it was. It was, a you know, and it was all new back then because – Footy show just started, so mm. it was new content. Um, it was a new show, and it was funny. It was a great show at the beginning. It's a shame that it's obviously like it, like everything yeah. comes to an end. But yeah, there's some mega episodes on that <laughs> on, on that on that program. Did you remember many like who was who was the people that was actually running? Was it Fatty running the content, or was it yeah, any it was league Fatty players? And or was Sterling, it Sterling, yeah. uh, Peter Sterling, and um, Mario Fennick. Okay. You know, so that yeah, was, yeah, uh, big Mario. Yeah, and then <laughs> a few others come in, but yeah, yeah. Then they had that uh, the cricketer Richie. He yep. was quite funny. So yeah, that yeah. was a good show. Yeah. Before you move, obviously you've spoken a bit about the Roosters here, but you played for Manly and you're heaps involved in the beaches these days with like you know being a footballer and ex-footballer and all that. Were you ever involved with like Des Hazler or any of these guys these days trying to bring you back into like play a coaching role or anything? Have you ever been offered that after your car racing career? I did get involved with the club um, there for a period as a director mm-hmm. of the football club itself. And then after that, I got involved in the junior development mm-hmm. um, with the Fultons, which have done an exceptional job at that. But at the time, you know, trying to sell houses, wanting to go and racing cars, and then training and looking mm-hmm. after kids. And it's a bit of a loveless job too, because, you know, 
as much satisfaction and that you get out of it, you're also upsetting a lot of people because someone should be in front of that kid or that kid isn't getting a fair yeah. go or that kid, you know. So, you know, you can often be on the wrong side of a few parents. Most of them are fine with it, but it's, yeah. I just, I just, in the end, I just thought, oh, no, look, I'll just yeah. walk away from this. But <laughs> down the track, you know, who knows, I might get involved in a in a junior capacity, but certainly yeah. not, don't have any Involved in Manly or, or any? It would any be Manly club? by yeah. virtue of yeah, the area that I live in. Yeah. yeah, okay. And so after your career, you've, you finished, you retired in 2000 with your rugby league career. How did the whole, with the car racing thing that we spoke about before, how did you get in, like what was your first memory of being like a motorsport involved in motorsport and car racing? Well, how it all came, well, when I was with Manly, Bob mm. Fulton used to love go-karting. Yeah. Okay. And um, we had a, um, a player day mm. out at Oran Park where everyone went out there to have a go of the go-karts. And I'd had dislocated my collarbone at the time. I had a dodgy uh, arm, so I was kind of like had a hold of it just with one arm and more stiff with the other, yeah. other one. And I was light too, which makes a big difference in go-karts. But anyway, mm. went out there and basically I beat everyone. And I just thought, you know, God, that was good fun. And you know, I must be all right at it because, you know, I've beaten all these other guys and I only had one arm, so to speak. But yeah. that was where I really wanted to get involved in it. Yeah. And then a good friend of ours, Lindsay Dive, he lived in Monavale. His kids were riding to go-karting. Yeah, Clinton. Clinton. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah, 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 yeah. I know Clinton, yeah. Okay, well, Clint's a great mate of mine. Yep. Uh, and his older brother, Brendan, and his dad, obviously, um, Lindsay. Um, they got involved with, along with my father, and they formed North Shore Go-Kart Club. Yep. And, um, That's who I race for. Oh, well, there, yeah, you there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, so yep. that was yeah, basically all started from my dad and Lindsay Dive. Yeah, right. So, and then I always said, like, you know, t- as soon as I finish, you know, been around that scene, as soon mm. as I finish football, I'm straight into it, yep. into a cart. So that's probably my fir- uh, first recollection of really wanting to get involved in motorsport whilst, whilst I was playing football. Yeah, right. Did you compete at that North Shore Kart Club, though, at the go-kart level or not? Did you do any races at all just to get you, just to get, like, a, a feel for it all or you just jumped straight into a car? Oh, you know what I did? I went and bought a, a Rotax yep. and I went and did two or three races at Eastern Creek. Yeah. And then my garage got broken into. I had a couple of dirt bikes, go-kart, all stolen. Mm. And then um, I just – it was at that time I was looking at getting in cars and I just went and bought a, a race car instead and mm. I didn't bother getting back into go-karting. So yeah, right. But something I might get back into and have a bit of a, yeah. bit of a spin out. What was your first, What was your first like, race car that you bought, though? Was it, was it the Mirage or was it a Gemini? Or no, the first it? race car I had was a XR8 Falcon Ute. Okay. Yeah, so in the V8 Brute series. Yeah, okay. So that was the one that you owned, but you raced, obviously, in 2002. It's, I go through like Well, I had statistic. to do my OLT. Yep. And then from that, as part of then getting my license, I had to do five provisional races on my P's. Mm. I did one in a HQ or maybe a couple in a HQ. I think I did one in a Gemini. Mm. did one in a Formula Ford. Did you do a Formula Ford race? Yeah. Yeah, and right. And uh, I was like, it was at an historic event. It was just to get a tick of a box. But yeah, okay. How did you find the Formula 4, like an open wheel? Because you mainly stuck to, you know, a tin top. Well, I just couldn't fit in it. You know, I think it was my second or third race I've ever, ever been in. I, yeah, I couldn't say that it was something that I really enjoyed. Hmm. You know, it was great to just go out there and do it, but too big, too slow, and an <laughs> old historic, you know. <laughs> Yeah, oh. Formula Ford. It just wasn't really my my thing. Do you remember where you finished in that race or not really? Oh, I couldn't tell you. You're racing against you know so many different variations of cars. So it wasn't just all all Formula Fords. They were all they were all open wheelers. Mm. So after you finished your OLT, you got, you 
was the first race, like your big race. That was the 24-hour Bathurst race, wasn't it, in 2002? First big race, yeah. 2000, when was that? 2002. Yeah, so yeah. 2002. Um, yeah, I did a full season of the Utes. Yep. And then at the end of end of that year, you would have done 24-hour. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> oh, done, look, I've done, I've done a couple of 24-hour races. I've done yeah. a, I think I've done a few 12-hour races as well. Yeah, yeah. So you just, racing is, yeah, good fun. I'd much rather sprint. Yeah, racing. so you didn't you didn't really enjoy like the whole. Did did you find a difference waking up like staying up for twenty four hours trying to compete in that race though, or you just don't? Not my recollection of it now since. since well, the, the twenty four. I remember was supposed to have four drivers, and one of the fellas, his mum died. Oh shit! So he left. Mm. So there's just three of us, mm. which was good because I I think the maximum amount of seat time you could do I think was thirteen hours. So mm. I ended up doing over twelve hours because one of the wow. other two guys were older guys, and I think it was a bit wet. Times and mm. other two didn't want to be in the wet from memory, so I ended up getting heaps and heaps of seat time. Yeah, um, and that was in a charade. I think it was. Yeah, a mirage. It was a mirage, mirage, mirage. There you go. Yeah. Close, close, yeah, close. <laughs> <laughs> you did obviously the Bathurst twenty four hour, but you started your Ute racing. What is it in two thousand? Is when was that your first career? No, I, well, because I re- actually retired from league in two thousand and one. Yep, um, and then. I first started racing in 2002. And how did the whole cause light thing, or not the cause, Cooper's, Cooper's Pale Ale, how did that all come about? So I think from the, in the first year that I was racing, the last race of the year was at Indy, and um, I managed to win that round mm. uh, in my first year, and I was so pumped. Mm. And that's when Coopers were just getting involved in racing. Yep. And then so um, the following year, I won a couple more races, and I was still like a bit of a privateer. Mm. And then uh, I got to know there's a good mate of mine from Adelaide, Michael Brock. He was good friends with Glenn Cooper from Coopers, who had the sponsorship. And he said, "Look, we want someone, you know, win mm. some races." He said, "Mate, you got to ring Jack. He's winning some races. You know, yeah. he's got good crossover from a marketing, mm. yeah, 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 I suppose um, outlook with mm. that's the same sort of audience." And so he just rang me. He said, "Jack, do you want to come race for race for us with Coopers?" I said, "Where do I sign?" <laughs> and um, because a lot of a lot of that up to that stage, I was, was self-funded. Yeah, you get a few sponsors here and there, but it's never ever enough. So yeah, I basically went to a, a team, mm. gave them my car. But was it Peter's Motorsport, or was it another, or was it just a, like a separate? So Peter's Motorsport, they ran the car for a while, but I had it. it was through um, the beginning was McAllister Motors. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And McAllister. Out of Young. Yep. yep. And then um, and then I did it myself mm. with a couple of. Um, with Lindsay Dive, he was in yeah, the team, yeah. and yeah, right. Club, he was like, you know, Eric Stanford, yeah, and um, and then we came second. We came runner up like three or four times, yeah, uh, and then I went to John Pachos, yep, at High Tech Motorsport, yep. So he ran it for a year or two, and I uh, won a championship there. And then um, then there was another fellow that looked after it for maybe a year or so after that. But I had like I think seven years, yeah, of good sponsorship with Coopers, yeah. And um, great times because. Do you remember many of the guys? Because back then the Ute series has changed now massively because mm. they've got the X Diesel cars to a big V eight. The back to V eights now, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Have you been tempted to go back to that or not really? Or do you want to do something else? Look, I would really, I'd probably TCM is probably where it's going to be for yep. me, and or if Utes, if the numbers pick up mm. as far as competitors, because I, I don't, if I'm going to do it, I'd want to do it. Where it's a fully blown national championship, yeah. like in the Utes, it was good. There was thirty-two cars. Yeah, it was so competitive back then when you were racing. It was competitive. You know, I don't know. You know, I just don't want to <clears throat> go there and run around and around. I want to go there and 
mm. fix it with the best possible people in that category yeah. and make sure it's. Did you, did you have, did you have any rivalries that you remember back then specifically for like a year that you were banging oh, doors? With? You know, I was banging doors with um, oh, like, uh, like Grant, jo- Grant yeah. Johnson was, you know, he was right up there. Marcus Sakanovic, he was, yep. you know, um, Leighton. Cranbrook, yeah, he, uh, Roll Harris, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Roll Harris likes to give it back, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, a, he's yeah, a rough he's racer, champion. I was having a beer with him in, on the Gold Coast last week. Good guy. <laughs> How racer. is he, by the way? He's a great guy. He, um, he's one of those guys that you just can't help but respect and like, but yeah. he races really hard. And unless you like racing someone who, who races really hard, you probably won't like him, <laughs> yeah. you know, because <laughs> he'll stick it up any, you know. He'll throw it down the inside any which way. Yeah. And he just races to win and that's why he's so great to watch. Yeah. Did he speak about his Super 2 debut and stuff like with Yeah. Because you said, you said off air that you were, you know, if the money was there, you would have gone to Supercars. Yeah, 100%. Like that was always part of, you know, the, mm. the Coopers I suppose, the, you know, the path. But, you know, mm. GFC hit and that brought a lot of people undone and, mm. and also knocked a lot of money out of the sponsorship market. And that's probably which kind of like, you know, slowed, slowed things up for me. Yeah, right. So, Jack, how did you get involved in real estate? Well, I think like, you know, playing football and earning a good chunk of money as a youngster, I suppose, mm. it was just natural to invest in real estate. So I bought my first property at 18. And then um, from then, I just always had a vision about real estate, seeing it perform mm. and just thought, well, <clears throat> you know, one day I want to get into to real estate as a marketing agent. Yeah. Um, but then during my career, I bought a few bought and sold a few more properties and then I uh, acquired a few properties as part of a development site and then put a couple of development sites together. So I did a little bit of developing and then um, when I retired from football, probably around about 2002 or thereabouts, yeah, I thought we'll get into marketing. And Were you doing were you doing real estate at the time you were doing, like, for like were you focusing on your real estate midweek and then going to footy training? How was that all working out? Because you said- Oh, you, no, you, no. You so, bought- so 2002, so I'd yeah. already retired. So <clears throat> that's when I went into to real estate. So I wasn't- Doing oh, any okay. sort of crossover, but I was buying and selling homes and yep. putting development sites together and things like that whilst I was still playing football. But back then, we used to train a lot, but there was still always yep. time during the day to. And how'd you co found your business? Was it Del- 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 Delmage was the first? So one? it was Delmage. So yep. they were um, a family friend uh, a long time ago. And um, basically, yeah, that's that was the first brand, but we rebranded uh, to Domain Residential and uh, yep. that's the new brand now. So. Got a few business partners, but it's a good, strong brand on Northern Beaches. And yeah, we've yeah. been going now for, I don't know, all up 20 years, something like that. Yeah. I'll go a bit off topic here. You were talking about off air about crypto. How did you get into the whole crypto business? How did that all start? Well, you know, it's just one of those things that so many people you've seen and heard, so many people make so much money in crypto. And uh, mm. so, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a big investor at all, but I just, you know, started a, a course about six weeks ago and I'm just trying to peel through the layers of yeah. what it is, how it works. Uh, got a few little things going and, and it's been performing great. So, how, how do you turn it into, like, I don't know anything about crypto to me. I just think it's like scams online the whole time. <laughs> how, does, how, do you, how do you actually transform the money from it being like online to cash in the banks that you can buy? So I, I just don't understand that whole thing. Well, the coins, obviously, that have value, you put them into like a, a, watch, like a wallet. Mm. Um, and then that wallet, what you can then do is transfer them into, say, a a debit card. Yeah. And then use a debit card, like a credit card, and just go and pay for things. Yeah, like right. So, and away you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but actually, it, it does exist. It does work. Yeah. I mean, you look all around the world. I mean, Russia, they're saying Russia's using crypto. That's how they're surviving at the moment. 
Um, but you know, it's it's you know, India, yeah, are using it. I mean, the ATO here in Australia, are they against it or are they for it? They're for it. I think I think that's what's going to happen in the future. Is that as long as the government gets their pound of flesh out of it, mm. they're happy. Whether people are making money, they just want to make sure they're getting their taxes. Yeah. And uh, about five weeks ago in the states, first transaction went through from a Bitcoin under through a crypto transaction. Yeah. And the government allowed it, confirmed it. Yeah. They got their stamp duty. Wanted to make sure that they paid their yeah. tax along the way. And so, look, I don't think anyone can stop it. It's going to be bigger and bigger. Two percent of the world use it at the moment. Mm. Um, so it's still in its infancy. But mm. I think you know, five years from now, there's going to be a whole lot more value. So I'd like to think that I'm getting in at the relatively uh, yeah, you know, the lower level, lower, and then, lower level of it, and hopefully yeah. grow with it. Yeah, back to rugby league for a bit. What do you think about the whole NRL expansion with the Dolphins? Do you reckon? Do you reckon that's a good idea or a bad idea? Going to eighteen teams technically. I think you've got to have expansion, mm. and that area is such a growth area. I mean, you, if you don't expand, I just think we're opening ourselves up to you know rival codes. Yeah, taking good kids. Mm. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Was well, so back then when you were playing rugby league, did did actual other codes try and poach you like Union and AFL? Was was that actually around back then or did it more so happen in the mid-2000s? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't really have any of that. But when I retired, mm. or before I retired, I went over to Italy to um, – just I met with a club called Calvasano because I wanted to retire and then play a couple of years over there. Mm. And then I just you know, I had a few injuries and that didn't end up happening. But, um, mm. but then a couple of years into racing, I then had my manager – speak to some Japanese clubs because of what I wanted to do is go over and play rugby union in Japan. Yep. And like um, Craig Wing. Like Craig Wing. Did. Yeah, like yeah, what yeah. he did. But yeah. some of the clubs over there are owned by Nissan Mazda. And I wanted to do try and do an offset, play football and and yeah, get a racing right. a racing wow. experience over there. But at the time I had a um a pretty major dirt bike accident. Mm. And um yeah, I missed a few few races here in Australia, but I lost all the feeling in my left hand. So you can kind of yeah. see all the scars through wow. there and I had like cuts through my stomach and and that from the dirt bike accident. <clears throat> yeah. yeah so right. because that and that hand was like numb for years. Yeah. Right. So I didn't get the chance to go to Japan and play because of your dirt bike accident. Yeah, <laughs> dirt bike accident. <laughs> I'm yeah, 48 and still crashing do bikes. You, every do, week. You, do you dirt bike? <laughs> do you dirt bike with Dylan Thomas, who I've had on on here? I haven't been riding with Dylan. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Dylan's a great rider. He, I mean, he loves his motocross. I'm probably on more. Um, Enduro riding. Yeah. So, so you go for long sport. trail bike rides, really? Long dirt bike rides. Like Clint, for example, him yep. and I will go for uh, anywhere from sort of like a 60 to sort of 120K mm. dirt bike loop. Yep. Um, and it's all sort of trail and enduro. Do you drive like your car's up to a yeah. certain place and go, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Well, we go to the Wadigans a fair bit. Um, yeah. And I ride up at, um, Cessnock a fair bit up there. Yeah. And then also do some adventure bike riding as well. So got a yeah. 700 Yamaha and we just, you know, yeah. go out and run. I don't know, sometimes you can run a couple of thousand Ks in a week. Do you have a favoured, like, bike, though, or do you just, like, randomly – like, I've never I've never bought a bike or ridden a bike. Man, I ride Husqvarna. Uh, Husqvarna is the best thing. Husqvarna the ones to go. Yeah, Husqvarna 450. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back to you, obviously, your Ute series when you are racing. You said that you were struggling to get a supercar ride, but you were saying you would technically go to the TCM or the new Ute series, but you prefer the TCM series. Is that more now so if you were to go back to just stitch up a budget once more and – you know, especially now because the whole economy has been hit with COVID, it's even more worse than it was. Look, if you're going to go race, it's got to make commercial sense. And yep. for it to make commercial sense, it needs to be attractive to sponsors. So it needs to be a national category. 
and it needs to have a big, broad fan, yeah. you know, base appeal, you know. So yeah. it's out of those two really. On TCM is the most, I suppose, it's the second most popular category under supercars. Yeah. Cars are like, you know, 750 horsepower, like they're big, you know, big yeah. horsepower. They've got lots of attitude. They look good. And that would be probably my preferred category. Yeah. But like I said, if the Utes picked up a whole lot more cars, well then, you know, and it was a, and look, it is a national series, but with COVID, you know, certain states have been locked down. So mm. I think when the world gets back, or even Australia gets back in order, mm. going to yeah. race meet around Australia, yeah, I, I think that's when sponsors will start throwing more money at it. Yeah. And that's when I'll, I'll get back into it. Did you chat to Ryle about that? Like a potential ute return or a, or a Yeah, test? yeah, we had yeah. a chat. Yeah, he said, when you come racing again, I said, oh, look, I'm, I'm keen to. And I, I tried to do it a couple of years ago, but it just – it was just Eastern Seaboard, mm. and the sponsor that I was talking to just wasn't interested in an Eastern Seaboard program. They wanted yeah. a national. Yeah. Um, did you did you use your like? Because obviously, I don't have many athletes who have come from both codes or from both different sports. But did you actually have your rugby league manager helping you out with your car racing career at all? Like in any way to help? No, promote? no. So that was just dropped. No, well, it's just well, George Mimas was my um, yeah. player manager. Yeah, and he's a great bloke, and he'd help me in any way, shape. Mm. that he possibly could but yeah. that's just not his bag so yeah. um the sponsorship proposals basically they're you know you get to meet other different people that are in that field and mm. you know i had, had good people around me to, to help did bobby fulton ever come out and watch you race at the start before he passed away no no he didn't no so he just just was a racing fan at, at that oh, Bob on the, on loved the all that stuff but you know like yeah. bob you know, Bob lived the best life and <laughs> the best life. And, uh, yeah, if he wasn't, you know, doing something with rugby league, he'd be, you know, out one of his properties. He, he, he loved being out in the bush, you know, hunting and fishing and things like that. So that was, that yeah. was his. Um, did, you, did you sell many because you were sponsoring Brookvale Oval, sponsoring Manly? Did you actually sell many or give many properties or help them, any of the players with their – um, yeah, there was some branding there back, back in the day, but we were kind of more, you know, where, where we traded mainly was in that sort of Newport to sort of Narrabeen area. But, um, you know, did sell plenty of, a few properties for a fair few players like Jamie Lyons and Gordon, Gordon Tallis, I one of his yeah, okay. for him and uh, Millard and mm. Owen Cunningham and mm. you know, a few bunch yeah. of players, you know, from time to time, just depending on where they were, get in there and. And have a crack. Sell it. <laughs> how'd you um? How'd you find when Valvoline Raceway before it obviously has now been abandoned for Eastern Creek? How'd you find um the sprint car go with Minicello and all the boys out there at the track when when that was all ramped up? The sprint car experience was the best, probably the best motorsport experience I've ever had. Yeah, I remember when I went out there, I took out Randy Depunier, the ex MotoGP rider. Yeah, and uh, another fellow by the name of Chris Watson, who's a you know speedway bike rider and when we went out there and mini was out there and a few others mm. and um cutting laps in a little car with like you know 900 horsepower and how you sit there and how you accelerate like yeah. you push down like a bus yeah you push <laughs> down on the accelerator and slide the brake forward and yeah. 900 horsepower you know to get 900 horsepower when you're pushing you know the throttle an inch and it comes on all at once and wheels are flopping around and it's just like <laughs> It feels like you've just been electrocuted. Like, really? How is that crazy? And uh, <laughs> if you ever get a chance to, you know, be a passenger in one, yeah. like, uh, it is just phenomenal. It's just so, insane. Yep. Definitely something <laughs> you got to do if you can do it. 
Well, I've got actually a guest coming in tomorrow, Luke King. He actually helped you with the, uh, your Adelaide race. Do you know much about Luke King or do you just keep separate? And you're very you're quite a private guy because you were actually quite hard to contact before the podcast. Was I? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're quite busy. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so with Luke, do you know much what he's done? Like, have you kept in contact with him since you've crewed with him or anything or you don't really No, but Luke, was he, he if it was in Adelaide and he, he mm. probably would have been part of a large team and he would have been one of the mechanics that we just got got in yeah. to help out. If I saw his face, I'd know for sure, but yeah, yeah. no, I can't, um, I <laughs> yeah. can't, I can't, you can't recall him. him. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> All good. Put that down to a concussion. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway, Luke's these days, he's racing the TCR series. He's actually done really well. He came second to Chas Mostert last year. Okay, right Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so but he he said online that you influenced his career, surprisingly enough. Is that so, right? Yeah, you yeah, were yeah. joking. Wow. Yeah, there you go. So. He must have been impressionable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the TCR stuff, I mean, it's I haven't really seen really any much of it. I mean, mm. when they first came out, I was pretty, you know, um interested to check it out and mm. out of mind Barry Morecambe, he had the Hyundai uh, team, but <clears throat> in all honesty, I don't think I've seen any of the racing from TCR for the last couple of years. Do you watch any of the supercars these days or are you just kind of just I do, I like I do. Um when I can, it's mm. there I will. Yeah. Um but yeah, kind of like last few years I just got off Foxtel and yeah. got off Netflix and things like that. Yeah, just right. try, yeah, yeah, just try and watch less TV and more or um, less off social media as well. Well, like, you just a little bit of social media here and there, but I just, I just try and get to bed earlier now so I can go train here in the morning. Because otherwise, I, know, I just find myself up all night. And, and uh, what's what's like a day in the life of Jack Ellsgood though? What's the schedule for you in the morning? So you said you what you get up early in the morning. This was only up until probably about eight, yeah, 12, 18 months ago. But yeah, just try and get up now five thirty, mm. and normally at the gym at six. Probably there for an hour, hour and a half. Come home, eat. <laughs> then I'll, then I'll, uh, I'll uh, head to the office, yeah. um, do some of the crypto work, yeah. do some real estate work, and then I'll uh, probably try and get like a 10K walk in at some stage mm. and then, um, you know, do some more work, yeah. go for a dirt bike ride if I can, you know, if yeah. I can. Well, that's, I always go for a dirt bike ride during the week at some stage. Yeah. And then um, after work, then we go back to the gym, do some cardio. Mm. Get in the sauna, and and just home, relax, eat, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Life of a single man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you mentioned Troy Hunt. Yeah, I, yeah, ra yeah. I raced uh, a little bit uh, against him back in the day. He was yep. in a Mirage, but you obviously know him. How do you know him? Yeah, well, he was actually my driver coach when I was a kid in um, my karting career. And um, yeah, Troy and Clint obviously are mates. And yep, then I, mates, I, yeah. I don't know Clint actually from a bar of soap. It's just because Troy was mates with him. Yeah, yeah. And Clint was like a legend in the go-karts. Yep. And that's how, yeah, that's how I found out about Clinton Dive. And I didn't, I hadn't had no idea that Clinton, that Clinton and that family had actually started North Shore Kart Club before you said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The podcast. Well, the other bloke that you would have known who gave Troy Hunt his start, I, strangely enough, I haven't seen him for years, mm. but I was driving on the way back from uh, Surface yesterday and I saw this blue Audi with five and mm. that was a-i-l-i-n-g so sailing yeah, yeah. and lo and behold it was gary holt <laughs> yeah right so anyway i pulled the window <laughs> down i'm going halty <laughs> and he's looking at me like you know trying to figure out it was it's jack anyway he was on the phone trying <laughs> yeah. to buy a sailboat of all things yeah of course. of course he was and um but he i think he was the fellow who helped troy yeah, he did get in and start racing, but um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, motorsport like rugby league, you know, you're a pair of boots and a mouth guard away, mm. and uh, you're on a level playing field. But motorsport, unless you've got so much the money cash. and 
the expertise and things like that, the right people behind you mm. to really push you through. It's, how, um, how'd you find, how'd you find the Mitsubishi Mirages though, when you're racing them compared to the Utes? Did you find that fun though? Like the, the small little box cars and did you really find it competitive or you just didn't really think much? Oh, of look, it? you know, it was a 24 hour car. So, you know, mm. we're just, you, you race to finish, but yeah, they were pretty awesome. I'm thinking, I mean, they were doing 242 down Conrod for a little car, but yeah. in the 12 hour, I remember this, the Monaros were racing and I'd be driving down uh, Conrod and a Monaro would come down behind you and he'd just pull out and then just go past you like, you know, and yeah. as it go past you, he would just blow you out and then just suck you straight back across the track. Yeah. Just the wind <laughs> turbulence would nearly throw you off the track and been a little car, a little light car. Yeah. It, was, uh, it didn't feel great, but, um, you know, strangely, for a little car, those bigger, faster cars that were you mm. know, up and down the, the straights mm. that eat you, over the top, there wasn't much between the cars. Do you remember much of um? You might know my stepdad, Jeff Morgan. He was in the Nations Cup. Do you remember much of the? Yeah, GT? yeah, yeah. That's my stepdad. It. Yeah, yeah, right. He was yeah. in the Viper. He was in the Viper. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I remember heaps of the GTP nation, yeah. like the GTP production car days, and yep. when, when they had the Utes and all that. Do you remember much of that whole series before it went to the whole before it? Got yeah, it was a pro car series. Um, yeah. And um, and that's how I got into the Utes because I went down to a pro car series uh, event at Eastern Creek and mm. looking to go racing. And at that time, I wanted to run a Nissan 200SX. Yeah. And I met um, Ian McAllister there and uh, who was the guy that used to own pro car? Oh, was it? It wasn't Boyden, was it? It was no, no. Grant oh, Boyden. No, sorry, Ian, one of the Palmers. Ian Palmers. Palmer, the Palmers. Ross the Palmer, Palmer. Ross Palmer. That's Ross it. Palmer. Yeah. So I went into the van and said, you want to go racing? I said, yeah. And I said, what car do you think? I said, oh. 200 SX, and they said, Why don't you get into a Ute? And I said, Okay, why? Well, why not? <laughs> yeah, and they said, Well, it's you know, getting heaps of publicity, and that's how I ended up in a Ford, yeah, because okay. there was only there was 16 Holdens and 16 Fords, mm. and basically, I bought the number 32, the last franchise, which was a Ford franchise, yeah. So at the time, I had a Holden Walkinshaw, which I had just yeah. street car, which I love, yeah, wrapped around the streets in, <laughs> sold that, and um, bought an AU Falcon Ute. And, um, yeah, that was great fun racing. Yeah, right. That, that, that AU car, it was, it was a good race car. <laughs> How did the franchise thing with the Utes thing, because that was like the wreck things what they have now with supercars. How did that all – I had no idea about that. How, yeah, did that well, all, how did that franchise thing come about? Or? Well, they just had licenses, and basically you had to have one to be mm. able to compete, and the car had to be, you know, mm. a parody, had to be built and signed off and all that sort of stuff by certain builders. Yeah. And then – um. So if someone wrote a car off, someone still had a franchise to sell. But at the time, I think the most expensive one that ever sold was like two hundred and fifty thousand, and it sold sold by Raj Sharma back in the day. Yeah. And um, but then you'd have some people that would own a car and then just own a license, and then they'd you know lease cars, etc. Mm. So look, I think I think the concept of of it all was pretty good. But in the end, you know, just with the you know getting rid of the V eights and Ford and Holden no longer continuing. Yeah. That kind of like fell in a bit of a heap yeah and they now it's just now they're worth now, nothing now it is, yeah. <laughs> that's right. and now it's just a random hatchback type well not hatchback now it's just one of those big con you know the cabbie type of ute series which yeah, is twin cab yeah, yeah the twin cab ute mm. <laughs> i think these days the reason that they're struggling is because they've just got like no momentum as you've said before like there's no there's not as much publicity as there was back when you were racing like in the early 2000s to now like i think now it's just so monetized that it's hard to adapt a bigger field don't you think well, you know, I think at the time back then it was relatively cost effective and when you had big numbers, you had big entries and then when you had more entries, you could afford 
better TV package. Hmm. And it all comes with TV. So now that they've got limited numbers, I mean, as soon as I went to the diesel, I mean, everyone knew it was going to fail except for the people that said, no, we're going diesel racing. Hmm. And it's just lost momentum. And now just trying to get the people back into it. Hmm. I think another year, end of this year, hopefully next year, hmm. uh, and depending on what goes on with the economy, you know, I think it'll be a much better scene. And then if they can get 26 cars on the field, well, in the field with them, you know, they'll get a decent TV package. So hopefully they can do it because um, everyone loves watching you racing. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember in the Nations Cup days and the GDP days when they went down to Tasmania and they had the GT cars racing side by side for like a, like a pole shootout, like sprint cars? Do you remember that? No, I don't Well, you weren't, there, you weren't there for that. No. Could have been, don't remember could it. <laughs> Blame it down to another concussion. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you were looking towards the Nations Cup, was that right? Or were you looking at the time? <sighs> Look, you know, I did. I remember speaking to... um. Because I was always trying to get out of Utes and get into something faster. I remember speaking to Greg Crick, who had yeah, his that was that, that was raced, Jeff's, um, yeah, Jeff's old car, uh, Vipers. Because yeah. I don't know, I just liked, I, I just loved the Dodge Viper for whatever reason. And it was just had so much mumbo on a straight line, and mm. um, I suppose you know it was just one of those cars, and they were pretty reliable. Mm. And were, those engines went forever. And then you look at like Porsches and things like that, and they just at the time something go wrong on those. I know mm. they went. A reliable car too, but mm. that's something. You actually had a go on a Porsche, didn't you? Yeah, I raced over in Spa in yeah. a uh, in in a Le Mans race, which was an awesome experience. Yeah, um, raced with uh, a fellow by the name of Xavier Pompidou, who was a world champion Porsche Cup yeah, champion right. back in the day, and another fellow that owned the car who was an oil trader mm. in the UK. But Alan Simonson, unfortunately, Al's no longer with us. He mm. passed away at Le Mans, I think it was. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, um, it was his seat mm. and he picked up a better seat and a better car. And, um, at the time he was in the Cooper's team with me and one week I'd get pole, you get the other pole. It was kind of like, well, a little bit mm. tip for tat. And he just said to the fellow, look, give this guy a go. Mm. So he's the one that got me the steer in it. So yeah, yeah. flew over to Frankfurt. Yeah. I had a brand new 350 Mercedes. <laughs> had the thing tapped out at 255k and I think 250, no, 235 wouldn't go any faster. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> 235 and made a way to spa had a race and came home but that was a, an epic experience did you meet any interesting people over there because a lot of a lot of people who i've had on the show when they go to europe they meet interesting do you meet any girls or anything over there oh, you meet girls everywhere i mean when <laughs> <laughs> half the people you meet are women aren't they yeah <laughs> um but yeah no that was i think what was really unusual is everyone that you met over there they Everyone wanted to know how I raced, not mm. Bathurst, but Phillip Island. Mm. Everyone was like, have you been to Phillip Island? Have you been? Yeah, raced yeah. there a bunch of times. You know, they go, wow, like, what's it like? Yeah. And to this day, I still think Phillip Island's the best racetrack in Australia. Really? You reckon Phillip yeah. Island's the best yeah. racetrack in Australia? Yeah, by far. Hands down. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Why is that? It's just because it's smooth and, and just like the marble it's just, racetrack? It's just like Bathurst is awesome, but, you know, like Conrod, you know, you get a big rest and... Mm. You know, and then, you know, pitch straight, big rest, mountain straight, big rest. It's only when you're going up over the top where you're busy. Mm. Whereas Phillip Island, it's... Um, pack racing in a way. Crest you're on it racing. everywhere. You know, you get a little rest. Like mm. even coming on the straights, you know, it's just full on. Mm. And uh, I was lucky enough to run a... Uh, a mate of mine's got a couple of... Um, not MotoGP bikes. What are they? Yeah. What are the... Superbikes. Superbikes. So he's got a be couple of BMW superbikes, so... I did a three-day ride down there a few mm. months back on a BMW 1000 and to ride that at Phillip Island <laughs> was just insane as well. But you just don't get anywhere to have a rest. Yeah. 
and every corner's high speed. Yeah. Whatever you're riding's got a bit of attitude as a consequence to the speed you're doing. It's just the best yeah. place to be. You just like you just enjoy it. Yeah. I, that's to, to be honest as well. That's actually my favorite racetrack in Australia. Yeah. Because I've I race in the historic Formula Ford series and the Kent series, and right. every time I've raced in the historic racing at the start of the year, warms you up for the rest of the year. Yeah. Right. And the pack racing there is insane. I I totally agree with that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's just insane. And there's heaps of passing opportunities too there. Yeah. You know, so yeah, and it always creates a bit of a life in in town in in town when you finish. Yeah, the you race go to cows. Yeah, absolutely. There's always you know yeah. plenty of people about. Yeah, good restaurants. It's just a great place. So Jack, before we end the podcast, what is for you? Um, what do you prefer? Do you prefer your rugby league career or your racing career? What did you get the most adrenaline rush out of? Like going to being in a grand final or racing at Bathurst? Well, I suppose look, they're both very different, but. When you play, when I was playing rugby league, I was getting paid a lot of money. Yeah, and I was going through, you know, getting bashed and going through a lot of pain. Mm. But when you're racing cars, yeah, you know, it costs you a lot of money. You're not going through any pain. Yeah, but the highs you feel. So, for example, in rugby league, scoring a try and there's forty thousand fans going berserk, like mm. that's you know, that cool. gives you a mega charge. As does, you know, you know, you get whacked or you get hit and you just hear the you know roar of the crowd go oh, like, you know that yeah. hurt, you know, like that sort of stuff. There, it just Fills you full of adrenaline. Yeah. Um, but my first ever race win at Indy, you know, I remember going over the over the line and mm. just screaming, like, you know, yelling my head off, like <laughs> pumping the roof and going berserk and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that I would prefer um, because the highs in racing, when you do get them, they're more sustainable. Yeah. You know, they go for longer, you know, but in rugby league, you know, you're not scoring tries all the time. Most of the time you got your – Ass mm. hanging out and your tongue hanging out and you're in pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because for someone building you, but yeah. occasionally you you know you, you you get a great feeling. So if I had a choice to be a pro footballer or pro racing car driver, pro racing car driver all day, all day. You take that any day of the week. Yep. <laughs> would would have would there be any particular supercar team that you would have gone with? Say if you had to rewind the clock for a bit of nostalgia. Oh, look, you know what, Triple Eight. You want to be. You always want the best car, don't you? So yeah. <laughs> you'd say Triple Eight all day, wouldn't you? Yeah. Did you talk to actually any of those supercar owners when you were when you won the Ute Championship twice? Yeah, like, look, I had come... a couple of steers in the supercar. Like spoke to Morris a couple of times and mm. spoke to the Stone brothers a few times. They were good yep. guys. Used to always have because you know you'd be pitting garages and things like that. It spoke to Larry Perkins a couple of times. You're always sniffing around trying to get a drive, but mm. you know for them mm. it costs a shitload of money as well. And so yeah. you know they want someone to bring a big budget. Like there's no such thing as a free drive in supercars. Yeah. So. I think back then you were allowed to have like maybe one or two, like one or two offs, so to speak, and then you'd have to hand it to another driver. I think back then that was the case. So was that more so the case with you if you were to do like a main game driver or anything like that or not? I don't really? remember that. I remember really pushing Jim Morton, who's since passed, is yeah. karting. Jim yeah. for a steer in one of the endurance races. Yeah. Um, but really the only real big endurance race I got was the one at Le Mans. Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry, the one at Spa in the Le Mans yeah, race. Yeah, yeah, so in the Porsche. It was a 1,000K race, similar yeah. to Bathurst. Yeah, and um, yeah, got through that on Sky. So and you're and good. it was uh, you know, with LMP one and two cars in the field too. Like that was, yeah, you know, pretty crazy because they go past you pretty quick too. <laughs> and you're <laughs> yeah. just holding on for dear life, hoping you finish yeah. the race really well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So well, yeah, no racing cars all day. <laughs> well, that pretty much sums up the podcast, Jack. I appreciate you for coming on, and hopefully, I'll see you around soon. Yeah, be at a racetrack. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to On The Couch With Hooli. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify.